We are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. The Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis is an author, activist, and public theologian. She is the first female and first black senior minister to serve in the progressive collegiate church, which dates back to 1628. She is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, and Dr. Lewis and her activism work have been featured by the Today Show, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post, among others. She's the creator of the MSNBC online show, Just Faith, and the PBS show, Faith and Justice, in which she has led important conversations about culture and current events. Her new podcast, Love, Period, is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Her most recent book, Fierce Love, a bold path to ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world was just released this month, November 2021. Raised mostly in Chicago, she now lives with her husband in Manhattan. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, welcome to Encountering Silence. Thank you so much, Cassidy. What a pleasure to be with you again. So one of the ways we love to begin the conversation is to begin considering maybe what your earliest or most important memory of silence and encountering silence in your life might be. And that's such a beautiful, Beautiful, inviting question. Um, grew up in this family that was Christian, and we lived on the Air Force Base and went to those kind of clapboard white churches that were non-denominational. Um, but we moved to Chicago. We first went to this Rock'em Sock'em gospel church. <laughs> that was all the things. I loved it. But when we moved to to a new neighborhood. The church was a small Presbyterian church um, led by children and adults. And the very first time I got to take communion or the Eucharist, I was just about eight years old in the Presbyterian church. Your parents can vouch for you. So mom and dad vouched for me. I was so excited, like this grown up thing I got to do. And I was sitting next to my mom who smelled like that cherry vanilla Jergens lotion. And she's so pretty. And my dad was serving communion as a deacon that day. So that little bread comes down on the golden plate and I get a piece. And I think the pastor was talking, Cassidy, but I don't, I couldn't hear it. Almost like that when you're in a, when your ears are popping or you have that, they need to pop feeling. I don't hear anything except her. And she says, this bread means God will always love you. And then there's this warm, roomy silence after. And I eat the bread and I can hear myself chewing, but that's all I can hear. And it's the sweet Hawaiian bread. Wow. And then the little tray of cups come down and I'm like like little things I'm little 
And I take the Welch's grape juice, not the wine, and sip it. And she says, this cup means God will never leave you. Oh my God, Cassidy. God will always love you and God will never leave you. Wow. And so I drink that cup. And again, that pre-ear popping feeling of there's nothing else except the sound of my swallow. So that silence is filled with delicious flavors and puckery juice and mommy's simple sermon about God's love. That's the best silence ever. When I need quiet, I, I go there again. What a beautiful testimony to the Eucharist too. I, I, I've heard many things when I've received it. I've never heard either of those lines and the ways in which that that encounter of silence was was also an encounter with all of your senses is just so beautiful and it like everything is there everything is there oh i love that i never it, got to tell that like that before so your question provokes that memory that is so beautiful to be in mm. that space so smell taste sound Listening to the story, um, Jackie, I'm reminded of the title of one of your books, The Power of Stories. Mm, yeah. And so not only was this a moving story for me to receive right now, but I'm moved by the story that you received mm, with mm. and in the bread and the wine, the story of the God who always loves you and the God who will never abandon you. And it sounds like I, I'm forgive me for putting words into your mouth and please feel free to contradict this, but it sounds like that story got knit into your DNA. It is totally that, did. Is that a, Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Carl. In, in this way that because it's a part of my DNA, I actually got to pass it on to you like a, like a gene, I guess. I don't know something about us. And I, I've, passed it along in retreats, never this way, and I will now, but it, it is, it is my mother's, like, how does a girl from Mississippi raised in a, by a single mom who's picking cotton when she's four years old in Rollville? I don't know, but I, I learned this this summer that not only did Fanny Lou Hamer sing in my mom's choir, they, yeah, they actually went to the same church. So Fanny Lou wasn't a guest. They went to St. James Chapel. What? And my uncle George, mommy's uncle, was a trustee in the church and worked with her, with Fanny Lou to register voters. And his name is on a plaque outside the church. And so, and, and then my grandmother lived down the street from Fannie Lou Hamer, which means teenage Emma, my mommy, lived down from Fannie Lou Hamer. So what was in the soil and the Delta? What was in the air? Like, what were they all taking in that would make mom have a theology that God will always love you and God will never leave you? What? I'm so moved by that. She could have had a whole different kind of way to be, but that was her way to be. I, th I think what I, I got goosebumps as I'm, as I'm listening, because I, I think what, what is so striking to me about this 
is the way you said it, that it got into your, Carl says it got into your DNA and you said yes. And the, the beauty of this, that it was passed on, this story passes on, you become part of the body of Christ. The yes. body is given to you yes. by your mother. Yes. I mean, you know, and, and, and then like you just said, and your mother, where'd she get it from the soil she was in, from the people she's interact with, with the, with the churches she's been with the people she's met. It's just this unbelievable, like that's the most accurate and powerful uh, preaching of we are all the body of Christ that St. Paul says that I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, like that is making me cry. No, you're making me cry. I can't like, that's just ridiculous. Like the embodiment of silence that is just so about love and never being forgotten. Yes. No matter what it, I just, I just don't even know what to say. I just wanted to make that comment that I just saw the connection that it, your mother gave you your physical body by birthing you. Yep. You know, she was the vehicle that you entered this world through, and then she birthed you again and again so right. and again and again. And I'm sure she's done it a million times over, but that story itself has now birthed me. Oh, that's such a good thing to hear. I, I will never hear, as Cassidy said, I've never heard it said that way. I'll never hear it the same again. What, what, would, what would happen if our rituals had more silence, y'all? A little, just a teeny less proclamation and a little more space. What if, what if when we gave the Eucharist at church, we said, taste that yeasty bread? Drink that fruit of the vine and nothing else. So that the taste and the smell and the texture would actually, we'd understand. Kevin Garcia told me the other day a, a Buddhist saying that the earth, the earth makes the apple and the apple is willing to become, a, become flesh, something like that. So that the, we understand that the bread is becoming flesh, <laughs> really. And the cup is becoming flesh, right? So that we then, in turn, can bring blessings and proclamation and prophecy and the struggle for justice and all the work we've been given to do forward to those whom we are called to serve or to to confront or you know whatever the relationship however it's shaped and so the 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 web of life continues i i'm yes. back to the silence i think what was beautiful about your story is that the silence created kind of the the arena or the venue or the stage i don't know what's the right word here the place for your mother to to speak those beautiful words of life into your DNA, into your heart. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the Magnificat. I'm thinking about Mary saying, you know, you have filled the hungry with good things and the rich you have sent away empty. And I'm thinking, you know, is silence a place where we can get the people who are used to just exercising their 
believed, perceived right, quote unquote, to speak, maybe their, their privilege of speaking, to send them away empty. And then the silence fills the hungry with good things. I don't, maybe that's too big of a stretch, but that's just what came to mind. That captures my imagination. Yeah. There's some democratization you're seeing maybe in the silence, some balancing. Yeah, creating the space for, for more just or more healthy relationships mm -hmm. to emerge. That when we're, especially those of us who have been given privilege, when we're busy talking, we're missing a lot. Yeah, and, I think and that's I, right. I, yeah. Jackie, I'm, I'm really struck by the ways in which your book, your, your newest book, Fierce Love, is similarly a kind of feast about what love is and what what god is in terms of both the love that's always there and that will never leave us and i wonder if if you've ever kind of seen your work in that book as this kind of similar feast to that first eucharistic encounter that you experienced that you're now kind of passing on in this form of describing this fierceness of love and this depth of love and the ways in which that can, can feed us all and feed each other with said love. The beauty of conversations and listening, maybe sitting at table together talking, is the way it makes new paths for our brain, our imagination uh, to work. So I, I didn't really know until you asked that question Cassidy, that the book is actually got a lot of food stuff going on. <laughs> Just because I read it doesn't mean I noticed that. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll tell you a non-book story to, to answer your question. You know, you read the book, so you know I'm, I'm honest in the book about struggles in, inside the family system. And I did that because everybody's got struggles inside their family system. And what's fierce about love is how you struggle through that. So I come flying in here the other day, like I'm in Chicago working and I'm, God, I've got a podcast. At, so I'm sitting at this child, at this table in this room that used to be my brothers, it's kind of a hot mess, but I'm in this room and I do my podcast. And when I walk out, my dad has prepared a table before me. So here's another Eucharist. My dad, who's 87 today, who has lost his wife four years ago and has a new love, who's always had some temper, has become this incredible nurturer in our mom's absence. He mothers us all the time. So the table, the Eucharistic meal that night is my favorite fried chicken and potato salad and coleslaw and thighs, thank you very much, because Jackie doesn't do breasts and he knows that, and a glass of rosé. And he's already eaten, but he watches, he watches his firstborn daughter eat food. And he sits at table with me and we, we connect. And, and there is this kind of through line of how we are inextricably connected to each other, kind of back to your point, um, Carl, of like 
or maybe that was Kevin with the feeding, the, the feeding in the body and it keeps feeding, right? So he fed me, but also we fed each other with determination, persistence. Um, Daddy's not a silence person. We do not learn that in our house, but in the breaths, when I'm talking and he's listening and he's holding me with silence, that's not actually his language of choice. I feel so loved. And I think, Cassidy, I'm wanting people to imagine fierce love as a container for reconciliation and truth telling and reparations and justice. And when you do that, you have to really let the, the, the silence provides your listening, which nurtures and feeds. Wow, you uh, have really made a feast of silence for us today. This is just a beautiful conversation. Yeah, and I, you know, it's amazing how, uh, yeah, when we let silence and spirit lead, the, the different ways we can move mm -hmm. um, and the different paths we can go down. So just thank you. Thank you. Well, this gives me this wonderful follow-up. So you, you gave us this glorious story of the Eucharist, and now we get this second glorious story of the Eucharist, one from the mother, then the, from the father. So I guess my question to follow on is, Carl already said it before, we then take it and we do stuff with, in the world with it, right? That's right. So I'm curious as to how silence plays a role in your teaching, your preaching, your writing, your activism, you're living this out because you are living it out. So I'm kind of curious if you've thought about how silence plays a role because you just said to us that your father isn't silent. And yet it sounds like he's picked up this beauty of the pause, the breathing so that he can be present to his daughter. So he's good at silence on some level. Yes, and, yes. <laughs> and so I think we all are, even those of us who don't like silence. I think we pick yeah. those pieces up. So I'm curious where you see the silence practices in your work. Yeah, thank you, Kevin, for that beautiful question. Um, I have a contemporary answer in a kind of a little bit way back. Yesterday was Dia de los Muertos, mm. for those who are listening. And inside our congregation, yes has been my favorite word. So people, because I'm just a yes girl. So people have, you know, decided to do things. We're going to go repair um, Katrina and Sandy. You know, we're going to respond to the tsunami. We're going to go to the Supreme Court and stand up for women and have affordable health care. Like the ministry of middle church, yes, is led by me, but it's really nurtured by a yes that people do their thing. So a couple of years ago, a group of Latinx people said, you know, we're here, but we're not loud. So they started a small group called Hablamos. And they first were just learning, reminding themselves of their Spanish, but they've become so just to see and also rituals. So they did an ofrenda yesterday, which is what you do on Dia de los Muertos. And they left the church that we're renting and they walked back to middle church. They made a, a posada in a way. <laughs> And they took their offerings of, you know, pictures of lost ones and pictures from the sanctuary. And they made a, a ritual ofrenda outside the fence that's at the neighbor's place where you can see 
into the burnt out sanctuary and see the burnt, the scorched facade. And guys, it is so beautiful. And they did all of that in silence. So hablamos, which means let's speak, did that in silence, which is amazing. And I, who am an extrovert, shocking, love the quiet, love the silence. I write in the book, Cassidy, write, going to my favorite writing chair in the morning, making an exercise of getting out of the bed before I can disturb my husband. And I get downstairs and it's dark still. And I sit in the big chair and pull the cover up on me, the creamy cover, and I just wait. I don't even want to turn the microwave on to heat up the water. And I, so I trickle hot water to make a warm cup of tea. And I sit and I wait for the sun to come and for the words to come. I don't write to music. I, so I write my sermons in that cave of silence. I write my, wrote my book in that silence. If it's not that chair, it's outside in the yard under an umbrella at a table, listening to just the trickle of water in the pond. Oh my God, I feel God is so close. And almost not like I'm writing, but I'm listening in the silence for what I'm supposed to say. And then I take dictation. <laughs> And then those words go out in the world, in my sermons, in my posts, in my book. So yeah. silence through and through. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't, I can't do it. I, I have to just be quiet so God's can talk. And Jackie, do you um, think maybe in the context of this conversation, and in that Eucharistic sense and the way that we're talking about silence as a, as a receiving. So maybe just being quote unquote good at silence mm -hmm. is just to be willing to receive it in that yeah. Eucharistic sense, being willing and open to receiving it. Oh, I think that's right. It's a beautiful insight. So there is, a, is the quiet a surrender? Is the silence a surrender? Is it a yielding? Um, it might even be a yearning. But of course, we all know that often we, we don't want to be quiet enough or still enough. So it's a muscle to grow. Yeah, I think that's right. Forgive me for, for inserting a little bit of my story here, but just last night I had a dream that is so relevant to what you're saying. You, I'm sure we all know the story that Richard Rohr has told about Thomas Merton who apparently told the monks of Gethsemane, just because you're introverts, that doesn't mean you're contemplative. Ooh, yes. Well, <laughs> the dream that in my dream last night, and I can't, I don't know who I heard this from, but I heard that the opposite is true, that just because you're a contemplative doesn't mean you're an introvert. And so thank you for, for this beautiful <laughs> articulation of, of, of an extroverted silence. And I think we need to have that conversation more. That silence isn't just something that introverts do. Amen. That, 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 that every heartbeat has silence between it. Every heartbeat mm -hmm. is hugged by silence. So every word, every story is hugged by silence. And so, um, you know, so that moment where you're out there listening to the water and just making your heart a chalice to receive, that's, you know, that's the gesture. And, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's for all of us. You know, it's it's, it's not just for the the quiet ones or the ones who meditate or the ones who've learned centering prayer or whatever. It's for all of us. That's beautiful, Carl. I think that's right. You know how the UCC folks have that comma? They have a comma to say God is still speaking. Actually, that comma could mean right there, silence. I want to thank all of you um, because I feel like this is like a, a class. Uh, it's It's been lovely to hear the connection of everybody. I mean, Cassidy, then Carl and, and Jackie, all of you have woven together for me and hopefully for everybody, or maybe I'm just hearing it, but this idea that uh, even the quote that Carl said about letting go of the privilege and the democratization and allowing, I think we've just fleshed it out here that, as you said, Jackie, there we're so good at strengthening the muscle of talking and asserting our will or saying something. And so that that pause, strengthening the muscle of the, as Cassidy just said, the reception to receive, that the attitude should be receive. And it's hard for those with privilege to receive. They want to, they want to say, here's what I'm doing. Right. And so as Carl pointed out, Hey, this isn't the moment of here's what I'm doing. The moment should be shh, 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 hold, hush, hush, receive. You know, how, how, how are you going to get anything unless you receive? And, you know, that attitude of reception is so important. Uh, I just see you, all of you here, <laughs> weaving for me, wondering if, uh, if the divine is saying, hey, Kevin, shh, shh, receive. Kevin, I, if I can just invoke my mother again, when we were little kids, she'd say, your, your most important skill is to learn to be quiet and listen that you will learn a lot by being quiet and listening. So then you'd call her and she'd say, hello, precious, how are you? And then you, and she just go, I'm just gonna listen to you. Oh my God. She died four years ago and all of us are like, don't you miss that mama that just was like, I'm just gonna listen to you. I'm just gonna be quiet. She go, I'm just gonna be quiet and listen to you. And you felt that you had been given, you know, the riches of the world she would just listen, be quiet and listen. Now, I think in the ways that we believe that our parents are missionaries from God to raise us, I, I think she was setting a table for the divine when she would say that, and that we can set that kind of table uh, uh, on behalf of the divine for each other, always, always, to just give some good eye contact and be quiet or close your eyes and be quiet and be listening not only for God, but really for the other person's soul to speak to, you know? This conversation on Encountering Silence will continue after a 30-second break of silence. Take a moment and breathe with us.
I can hear the love for your mother. You know, you've you've quite clearly still love your mother so much, um, and it's it's so moving and helpful for me. But I feel like, as you told me that story, I had this thought immediately: is that you said you you miss that you know she would say that to you, you know that you know that mm -hmm. she, I'm just going to listen. I feel like she's in a place now where all she does is listen. That's right. That's correct. She just says. I think that's right. <laughs> she's my. She's just said, "My precious, I'm just going to listen." I'm right. just going to listen. And then she assigned Daddy to pick up the the job. So therefore, he's putting chicken on the table. Correct. <laughs> and trying to listen really well. Correct. She 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 gave him a to do list that's exactly. Right. A honeydew, right? Yeah. Yes. The important ones. The important things are on that list now. That's right. That's right. What, what is that line from, I think, John Milton, you know, they also serve who only stand and wait, mm -hmm. that there is, there's such a witness in the richest and juiciest sense of that word in that capacity to listen, to listen mm -hmm. to your precious child, to, um, to listen to a person who has been, who has, has been denied the opportunity to speak, to be able yeah. to create that space yeah. and to listen to that person. There's, you know, so many ways. And the word that comes up for me is sacrament, you mm -hmm. know, in the, mm -hmm. in the most theologically robust sense of that word, mm -hmm. that there's a sacramentality to this kind of relational silence that um, just really, really rich. That's beautiful, Carl. Makes, That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I want to hop on to a, a, a question that, that, that Cassidy actually wrote about your new book, about that you, where you say the children in your life are watching you and learning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, you know, not only is, is, the, is your mother listening to you, but our children are listening to us and watching yeah. us. They're not, and you go on to say they're not too young to learn to be anti-racist and pro-racial justice. They already notice shades of skin tone and hair and other physical traits. If you don't talk to them about race and culture, some other story will fill the silence. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, this, this brings the question of how silence can sometimes be misused yeah. or be, you know, in the service of a story that maybe is toxic. Yes. Um, and yeah. so I'm cu curious if you just have any thoughts there about how do we how do we safeguard the sacramental silence against kind of the toxic misuse of silence? Oh, that's an excellent, that's just a great question. I think in my, in that, in that chapter seven about everyday kindness, where you're quoting that, I also, I think I talk about um, uh, white rage and black grief and how in our culture, white rage, white um, disenfranchisement, white disappointment, loss of white privilege is sacramentalized. Oh my God, we have June 6th, right? And, and black grief responds to all the ways that, you know, American apartheid, if you will, uh, has wounded all the folks on the margins, but most especially indigenous folks and black folks. And so I think, let's, I'm gonna work with your metaphor of sacrament, Carl, because I think it's so beautiful that if white people are feeling like they've been so wounded because they're not, the power is eroding and that keeps them silent in the face of injustice, that, that is not the kind of silence we want. 
we don't want to be silent when our children, we don't want to be silent when the conversation about critical race theory is going sideways. Like that has zero to do with teaching our children American history, everything to do with uh, Derek Bell and others, you know, saying we need to think about sociologically how the law has got racism baked in it so we can make it better. Like someone says out loud that let's, let's whip this up and see if it makes us a cancel culture and it does. So parents can't be silent around racial injustice or homophobia or sexism or we parents who want to raise revolutionary lovers can't be silent in the face of that. Uh, parents who feel like the holy is calling us to heal the world can't be silent. And if you think your silence means the child will not know, like we used to think if you didn't talk about sex, they won't have sex. How does that work? Not so much. <laughs> so, so it's important, I think, to fill that kind of silence with thoughtful, let's even say mindful conversations to help our children make meaning of the world in the way you hope they will, because someone else will do that. Do we want to delegate that? We might want to collaborate with our faith institutions, with our schools, but do we really want to delegate the raising of, my friend Amanda would say, the raising of imagination. So a story, my, my granddaughter, Ophelia, is a complicated character at three and a half. She got all the feels. Her father calls her feels, for not for Ophelia, but for all the feels. She is joyful. She is energetic. She is brilliant. She's smarter than any three-year-old I've ever met. She's got words. But she also has, I need my privacy. And she used to behave that <laughs> about a year and a half ago. She needs some silence. And so her dad and mom gave her words. Are you, is that hilarious? She would like walk away, go hide behind the couch. Maybe she was making potty, we're not sure, but she would just go away from us. And now <laughs> she has words, I need some space. I need my privacy at, at three and a half. And she takes it. I am downstairs by myself after dinner. She doesn't want people. <laughs> hilarious, <laughs> right? But they taught her they taught her, they gave her language for that. So she doesn't, she's not moody. She's not in a bad space. She's not being a loner, right? She's being a girl who knows that she needs privacy in the very same way they get her to church every Sunday on the Zoom. So she can hear, overhear the gospel, writers would say, and, oh, and see the love. And my favorite Ophelia silence is at the benediction and she waits for it. And when Nana is giving the benediction, she reaches her little arms out on the screen and touches my fingers and gives the blessing back. And she'll say to mommy, is it time for the blessing? Boop. So you gotta get in there. <laughs> and if I say the word peace, she gets the peace sign with her fingers. She is doing her thing. So my probably extroverted, introverted on the border granddaughter has been giving language for how important silence is and it's okay. And also her parents are filling the space in her training for how to love the world, how everybody's everybody, how 
Uncle Darren and Aunt Janae are a couple, but so also is Uncle Darren and Uncle Phil, you know? Like they're just giving her the stuff so that she doesn't have to make up her own story that might be biased or take in the biased story of the world. I love that. Ophelia sounds like a little mystic. Oh my goodness. She is absolutely a mystic. <laughs> yeah. And the ways in which, you know, the, the Russian pressure of modern life um, has, has taught us that to ask for that, to ask for a pause in the middle of a conversation means that something's wrong. Ophelia is reminding us all that we just sometimes need, need some time, need some silence, need some space. Yeah. Not only are the children listening to, to us, but we, may we be also listening to them. Watch a child build a block, I say. Watch a child jump for joy. Maybe I should have added, watch a child put her three fingers in her mouth to soothe herself and sit down someplace and just be still. And her parents are my new heroes yeah. because oh that, that they are able to respect her, her young autonomy that <laughs> way yeah. and, and to give her that space so that she can enter into the silence and the solitude as she needs it. Uh, you know, because what they're telling her is they're saying, you matter. Yes. And yes. what you need matters. And I mean, we're back to your mom saying, this means that Jesus will always be there for you. It's a yeah. similar kind of a dynamic. Right, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the, be the beauty of that is that it's, like Carl just said, to piggyback on, like, you matter, all of you matter, right? Because our culture, yeah. our culture is good with, like, thinking or beliefs or ideas, but we're not really good with bodies, uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. We're not really good with bodies. And so your your family there is teaching that that and that little one's teaching us. Yeah. I my body needs I need time alone. I need to self-soothe. I need, you know, I need to take uh, the cues from my physical being. Yep. You know, that yep. that this is a necessary thing that I just that's another piece that the thread that keeps going through this entire conversation about the body of Christ and the body and the body, everything here is about bodies, you know, that's, that's right. Kelly. Love is body to body. And so sometimes yeah. that's going to look like you said, it's going to be so-and-so and so-and-so, but it's also going to be so-and-so and so-and-so very different bodies. Yeah. Right. To celebrate her mom a little more, Gabby is a young woman from my church who fell in love with my son, which is awesome. Uh, her mother is a got a master's degree in, in child, child like um, special ed. I used to just think, listen to her, and then she'd say, "Where is it in your body? Is your, is your, where's your body? Where's your body hurt?" Which is so, you know, do you feel it? Where do you feel it? And so, so Ophelia has that, and her younger brother. So just back, Kevin, to your passing it down. Her younger brother is uh, he's just about two years younger than she is. Doesn't have a lot of words yet. But in the morning, when she's doing her finger self-soothe, he comes and finds her, guys. Like, he, he gets his diaper changed, and he goes to find her. I mean, at 18 months. And he puts his head on her. And she touches his cheek. And they have this, like, ritual of she's soothing her and him at the same time. 
can you see how pretty this is in your mind? So she just touches his face and he sort of makes, you know, like a little bit of a purr type of thing. And I'm like, well, who are you people? But that's their morning routine. <laughs> it just blows my mind. <laughs> right? It's mind blowing. How, how I wish I could <laughs> just naturally fall into that. Right? How, where, where did I lose that? That's just unbelievable. I want, I want it back. Right. <laughs> right. right. Back. You are such a storyteller and it's so powerful and it's moved me so much today. So I need to ask, what are the hard, what is hard for you to write about and to talk oh. about? What are, what are the places? Because I'd love to hear, not because I, I want to hear your struggle, but I want to hear you articulate for me because I know you have this ability. Where are the places that are hard for you and, and how do you go there? I'm going to make you laugh while I tell you the hard thing. I got to read my audiobook. And when I was reading my audiobook in the studio, at some points I was like, what was your, what kind of drugs did you take when you felt you needed to write this stuff out loud? <laughs> what was wrong with you? Oh my God, why did you do that? Right? And, and I'm here with my dad and I'm like, oh, we can't, like I gave him the book, you know? He hasn't read the book. I'm like, oh God, there's a lot of love stories in here, daddy. And there's some bumpy stories. So that's my euphemism. We're like, so <laughs> my brother heard me do a talk the other day and he said, you said bumpy. And I thought, is that what it was? <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty straightforward, Kevin. Um, and I'm pretty honest and I'm very vulnerable, but it's harder to write about stories that, where you're not the only character. So it's hard to tell on your people you love with love. Um, and, and, and when you do that, when I tell on them with love and I'm honest, it's my story to tell. There are characters who don't look as shiny, you know, in the book as they are now. So it was hard to write the truth about the truth, <laughs> right? And so I just want to say to everybody, you know, honestly, honesty is hard, but it doesn't mean we don't strive for that. And the, I tell a story about being in my mom's hospital room when she's dying. That was hard to write because I miss her so much, but I felt like she was with me saying, it's okay to tell that. I felt I heard her in the silence and understanding how I would use that story to talk about how I couldn't preach that Easter. I couldn't preach on an Easter very well because it was close to her death anniversary. And I wasn't like, Jesus Christ is risen today, woo! You know, so it, 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 it took me, that, that honest story took me to a good place inside myself that I needed to find. And then to say another sentence about it, Kevin, like even the place that was super hard and the hardest place was, you know, maybe the story about my dad um, kind of knocking me off a chair. That was hard to write. And I tried really hard to write. I understand how my dad got to be my dad, how he's the sweetest marshmallow person. He just is. And he is also had a temper because he was hurt. And that I hope helps the world. Like you could be telling a story and you're like, why are we trying to, I don't know, sensationalize. I don't think most writers do that, but maybe people wonder. What I'm saying is every hard story I told was to make the point about revolutionary love, fierce love that pursues and persists and comes back. My dad heard me tell that story, not that whole story, but the story of bumpiness 
and he was crying and he was laughing. And so I think he got the reason for me to tell. And I think if we are trying to cultivate like a Eucharistic Thanksgiving embodied love for each other, we want to be tender with each other's souls. And I think we can be tender with each other's souls and honest at the same time. And it is also a muscle to grow. Amen. Yeah. Jackie, one of the questions we love to ask is if you have a silence hero, perhaps mm -hmm. someone living, perhaps someone appropriately on this All Saints Day, perhaps someone mm -hmm. who since died, mm -hmm. famous or obscure, who embodies the richness of silence in your life. And I mean, I could name a few heroic, heroic figures that you've already mentioned today and, and maybe maybe there's someone there you want to expound upon or, or someone you haven't mentioned. Oh, thank you, Cassidy. My mother's mother is coming to mind. Um, mommy's mommy, we called her Madir. And she lived in Mississippi. And I, I just have to think that God will always love you. God will never leave you. Theology is come, you know, came to mommy through her mom. But she was a nurse's aide. And she, her, she told us her favorite scripture was, pray for your enemies. And she was a black single mother living in Mississippi, having a baby called Emma in 1937, right? And her, my, and 1934, her big brother, and 1940, her younger sister. So when she said, pray for your enemies, she was actually saying, pray for all these people around me, mostly this man who holds my, for whom I share crop, this hospital for whom I nurses aid candy stripe, this culture where I'm drinking out of a colored water fountain, that was their life. This, my, 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 the teachers at my daughter's, my children's segregated school, all of that, a policy, you know, she didn't vote. She didn't have voting rights. So I, and she wasn't like the, you know, there's a lot of black spirituality that's um, extroverted and you know but she was a quiet uh, prayer and so I would find her when we went to visit her in Roeville I went back to her her house the summer on her knees in her room kneeling by the bed with the white crocheted bedspread and the doilies on the wood furniture and she's just praying quietly right there so that's my silence hero I think about the children she raised, the grandchildren that came, and this next generation, my nieces and nephews, coming from the silence of Luella Edwards, my grandmother. Thank you for that. So, uh, Jackie, uh, I have one more question about fierce love. In the book, you talk about specific moments where silence plays a role or a kind of character mm -hmm. in a personal story. So, so I'm wondering if you could either expand on that or maybe, you know, share maybe any other moments in your life or the life of a loved one where the character of silence has been a kind of enlivening or maybe just tell us more about silence and the book, you know, how's that for I, a broad question? <laughs> I love that broad question, but, and, and I have this really beautiful a recurring dream that I, I try to share toward the end of the book uh, where I'm a little girl and I'm dreaming over and over again like I don't know how many times about this mountain that I'm walking around and walking around walking around walking through four seasons 
winter, spring, summer, fall, babbling brooks, like all the sort of quintessential uh, pastoral scenes of mountain life. Uh, and I get to the top always, and it's always winter, and there's a lion there at the top. And guys, I had never heard of C.S. Lewis. I didn't know about Aslan, and you know, none of that stuff was happening. So this is some kind of like archetype dream I'm having over and over again. And when I get to the top of the mountain, this lion is not scary. It's just giant with a big white mane and big deep green eyes. And he's talking and I can't hear him. I can't hear what he's saying. I, I, don't, I can't hear him. And I'm, I'm clear, crystal clear, that if I ever knew what he was saying, I would know how to heal the world. That is the truth. So I think as I've gotten older, I realized it was his silence that kept me coming back. And so I kept coming back. I kept dreaming it. I've never heard him speak yet. But in the silence, I've learned that there's something about God in that journey. There's something about God in the journey to the mountain, to the top, to the lion, to the not being afraid. The silence is speaking. The silence is speaking. And it is my call to ministry to keep finding, to keep going, to keep listening for the words that will heal the world. And I would want to say to everyone, like, that's for you. You know, you're in this moment, this we're in this moment of seeking. So let's be comfortable in the silence. Do we know? Wow. You can't make that up. Like that talk about archetypal dream. I that's just unbelievable. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And it never leaves me. It's always right here. That that image, it's it's like now that image is in my DNA, mm. all of our DNA. And and of course where it took me was to um, you know, to Elijah on the mountain. You know, and, and yeah. having to having to go through the, the earthquake and the fire and the yeah. winds. I'm studying Jewish mysticism right now, oh, you know, good. and the way the way the Jewish scholars have interpreted that is that's like in prayer when you have to deal with distracting thoughts and distracting feelings and all that kind of stuff. That's the fire and the earthquake and the storm. And then, and I love how the NRSV uh, says, and then the sound of sheer silence. Yes, the sound of sheer yeah. silence, which makes you want to sing some Simon and Garfunkel, right? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me want to sing some Simon and Garfunkel. Anyway. Yeah. Speaking of, of a couple of Jewish mystics. So. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty good. It makes me think of um, an Episcopal priest once said to me, God is present in God's absence and God is absent in God's presence. So it makes me think. God is speaking in God's silence and God is silent in God's speaking. Mm. Ooh, that's beautiful, Cassidy. Yeah. You guys, I needed this so much today. I have been sprinting for seven days solid in meetings here, making podcasts, blah, 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 but also back in New York because you got to be back in New York on the meetings and early morning and night. This is such a gift today to have this conversation with you. I'm so blessed by it. Thank you so much. Well, really, honestly, thank you so much. I mean, it was just, you, you just dropped unbelievable 
uh, images and stories and, and sensory data that I'm going to be chewing on all day that just maybe all week. I, I just thank you for your time and for your the, the power of your spirit you know, that was quickened by your mother's Eucharist and your father's Eucharist. It's like we have to thank your family for the gift of, of the message that's passed on through the body that you've shared with us today. It's been so powerful. I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you. Thank you for casting me in this way. I mean, this is a, I get cast to, you know, put my fist up in the air and say no justice, no peace. Um, but I think the people who bought the book saw something that is really authentically me as well and that you came to make space for it deeply moves me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Well, and we love this, this raising the fist and saying no justice, <laughs> yes. no peace. That, that matters Absolutely. to all of us. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I, I think know. what we see is that taking that pause then nurtures the prophet, right? That's right. nurtures the activist, nurtures the, the, yeah. the warrior for justice. So, so right. we are happy to hold that space Thank for you. the good work that you and others are doing. We are encountering silence. I'm Cassidy Hall. To learn more about me, please visit CassidyHall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. To find out more about my work, visit my website, KevinMichaelJohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. My website is CarlMcCollman.com. Please visit the podcast website at EncounteringSilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. By making a purchase through our website, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Also, to learn more about how you can be a part of our circle of supporters, visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. This way you can share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world.